0: welcome to the Live Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. So we're in this series. I, 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 hope, I hope you're doing the Bible recap because if you're in the Bible recap this week, we're, we're right in the middle of these these verses in Genesis as we're studying the life of Joseph, as we're we're in this, we're in this series, Dream to Destiny, and we're talking about how God had these to fulfill Joseph's dream or his destiny, what he had planned for Joseph, that he didn't necessarily understand it. Even when he had a dream, he didn't necessarily understand what that meant and how that was going to manifest. A lot of times God God gives us dire, desires, directions. He starts moving us in a direction, and we don't actually understand how it's going to play out. But we, we begin to take steps, and then God works in that. So we believe uh, that, I think the Bible teaches that everyone has a dream and a destiny from God. God has a plan for your life. God is not haphazard. He's sovereign, and he has a plan for your life. And if, if he's going to fulfill that plan there are these character tests that we need to pass. We need to be able to mature. A lot of times, you, if, if God were to give us our dream today, we wouldn't be ready for it because we don't have the emotional or, or maturity, possibly, or spiritual maturity to handle it. So today, this is the pit test where Joseph gets thrown in a pit and really, it's it's it kind of continues for a long time. But these are the early manifestations of it. Some of you are going to relate to this. You've been in the pits, you know. I don't know if this is where we get the term, you know, that's the pits. Uh, but yes, Genesis chapter 37. Now I'm going to read virtually this whole uh, chapter to set the story. I could tell you the story, but let's read it in the Bible's words. Israel said to Joseph. Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send, them, send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. So everybody's gone. He's left at the house. Dad says, go. He says, okay, I'll go. Then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he went from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. A man, a man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have moved from here for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan when he saw him from a distance. And before he came to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now let then let's come and let's kill him And throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to their father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they had stripped Joseph of his tunic the very colored, colored tunic that was on him, and they, they took him and threw him in the pit. Now, the pit was empty without water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, "'What profit is it for us to kill our brother "'and cover up his blood?' Come." And let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. So it seemed reasonable to them to not kill him, to just sell him into slavery. And his, you know, sounds like brothers, right? (laughs) And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit. and Behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic, and they slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood, and they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to the father, their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then they examined it and said, it is, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the guard. So there's three things I want to talk about. One, the first one is the cause of the predicament. Now, what you, what I want you guys to remember is he's 17 years old. Some of y'all are close to 17, and a lot of us over here are way away from 17. But some of y'all are close to 17. Uh, you know. Uh, so can you imagine? So he's in. First of all, he's in this predicament. He's he's been thrown in the pit. So how do we get in the pit? What would Joseph have said? Would Joseph had probably, as they're throwing him into the pit, if we you know we kind of look at the level of discernment he's operating on at, at seventeen, that he would probably said, "You know, I can't believe this is happening to me. Uh, I don't understand why they hate me so much. It's not my fault. I mean." What have I done to cause this other than, you know, bring a bad report about them to dad? Also, you know, tell them my dreams about how they're all going to bow down to me. What have I done? So, what puts us in a pit? What, what puts us in a bad situation like this? Uh, a pit uh, that it doesn't seem like there's any way out of. Sometimes, sometimes we're in a pit because it's things we do. Right? Would you acknowledge that? You ever, I mean, if Joseph was you know, looking back, Joseph would look back and say, well, I was, they, they probably did it because they had a smart mouth. I mean, they did it because you know, I deserved it. You know, I mean, he didn't deserve to be sold in slavery. I mean, you know, that was not, he didn't deserve that. But, but he, had, he had brought some of it on himself. But he might not have seen that in the moment. You, know, you, you look back at any of the things you did in your past and you think, yeah, that really was stupid and that I shouldn't have done that. Uh, so sometimes we're in the pit because of things we do. We make bad decisions, we make bad choices, and it gets us in a place. Sometimes, often, we're in a pit like Joseph is because of what his brothers did. So it's, it, it's, there are things that led up to it that he participated in, and then, then they went over the top and did this evil against him. By They were, go, they were going to kill him. Reuben talks him out of killing him. And they just throw him in the pit. He thinks he's going to rescue him. Then they sell him into, uh, sell him to the Midianites. Uh, so a lot of times, things that have happened, the pit that we're in, is it's a combination. You know, you might say people are just jealous of me. It's it's not. He might have said this. It's not pride in me. It's not the way I'm acting or the way I present myself. Uh, it's envy in them. It's it's all them. Uh, everything that's happens to me is because of others. It's not my fault. It's not the, the action. It's their reaction. So, Joseph had a great opportunity to develop a victim mentality. And but you know, think about the pits we get into. Anybody ever been in a financial pit? Uh, often people go from financial pit to financial pit. Then ever think, why am I here? Am I am I undergiving? It, I'm un, in other words, I'm undergiving. I'm not trusting God with my finances. And putting him first in my life, I, find, I think it's a key to our finances, is trusting God in your finances. Uh, the second thing is, am I overspending? I mean, it's pretty easy to mess up in those two areas. Uh, I've messed up in both of those areas. Have you? Uh, and you think, why wasn't Joseph even with his brothers in the first place? He's, he's 17 years old. He's certainly old enough to watch sheep. David was watching sheep when he was uh, much younger than this, we see. From the scripture, Uh, many theologians believe that Jacob split them up because there was such conflict in the house over Joseph's dreams. That it had created such a stir that he thought, I'm going to send them off so they can cool down. And then, you know, he's hoping that maybe the relationship can be restored. I mean, you got to think about this. These guys knew how to tend sheep, they didn't need the 17-year-old kid to come check on them to see what they were doing, how they were doing. Nine of them were in their 20s and 30s. Reuben and Simeon were in their 40s. So they didn't need this 17-year-old. So maybe he's sending them after some length of time, he's sending them hoping that, you know, maybe this will be the beginning of a repair of the relationship. Uh, he was wrong, but, you know, you know, we're always hopeful. In Genesis chapter 37 says... When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. So they saw saw him from a distance. How did they see him from a distance? It's that blasted coat. They saw this is this unique multicolored tunic. They look and they see him wearing this tunic. You know, apparently uh, he wore it everywhere and he wore it all the time. And, we've, and we realize that if Joseph had... I think Joseph, like a lot of us, has ADD. And it's one, Some of the characteristics of ADD, first of all, uh, he can't read the room. And so he tells them that, you know, it, you know, it'd be one thing to have those dreams and keep them in your heart. But he didn't have those dreams and keep them in his heart. He had to tell everybody, y'all are going to all bow down to me. So... And then the guy finds him wandering in the field. It, he, he's sent, and he's he's just wandering around the field. And the guy said, the guy comes up to him and said, "What are you doing?" So you know he's, he's uh, We we used to call it when I was going to school. They called me a daydreamer. They now they call it ADD, but they called it a daydreamer because when I was in elementary school, they would I would they would say. Randy, Randy, because I'd be looking out the window, imagining, dreaming about anything other than school. So, so here he is. He's 17. Uh, they sent him to check on him. They see that blasted coat. I think if he had had any wisdom, acquired any wisdom at this point in his life that he would have recognized possibly by now that this coat was trouble. And not worn it all the time. Maybe like, you know, dad's throwing the dinner. I'm going to put on the special coat he gave me, but I'm not going to wear it brazenly in front of my brothers all the time just to tick them off. But he didn't have a clue how it was affecting them. It was only all about him. So uh, how do we get in the pit? Sometimes we get in the pit because we make bad decisions. Sometimes we're in the pit because other people do things, bad things to us. Then there's number two, the perspective of the pit. And when we're in the pit, we want to make sure we have God's perspective and not Satan's. Uh, here's what we know. Here's what I've experienced. Once, once you're thrown in the pit, the accuser of the, the brethren, Satan, will try to set your perspective. He wants you to be a victim. And so he's going to try to set your perspective on what's happening. And so there's, he's, going to, he's going to begin this cycle of condemnation. And he's going to condemn you because you're in the pit. And he's going to shame you for being in the pit. And we've, we've talked in the past, so, so we know that God never condemns us. So when we get condemned, it's not from God. But God does convict us. So there's a difference when condemnation. We know that there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We know that God doesn't condemn us but we know that he does convict us by the holy spirit and what's the difference because it seems like the same thing well the difference between condemnation and conviction is is that condemnation is general and conviction is specific so god will Specifically, convict us of something. Let's say so. Let's say you go to your parents, and your parents say something to you, like, "Like you're a lousy kid." That's condemnation. You're speeding right now. Slow down. That's conviction. That's specific. It's a it's a thing. That's how God deals with us. God doesn't deal with us like, "Oh, you're such a lousy Christian. You're never going to be a good Christian." You, you always fail. You always mess up. You're always worthless. He does, that's not how God deals with us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't accuse us. But he does specifically say, hey, you're lying. Stop it. you got a stinking attitude. You've heard that? You've heard that? That's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts as believers. He's sanctifying us. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. That's how he works in our life. He is, he is bringing conviction. Uh, John three seventeen. for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You probably know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Satan will, anytime something happens, Satan is going to say to you, look what God did to you. And it's it's, it's funny how he will accuse and cause things to happen, and especially around your relationship with Christ. So if you go to church and somebody walks by you and they don't shake your hand, Satan says, see that? They don't care about you. You should never go there again. Now, if you go to Walmart and you get bad service, Satan doesn't show up. I mean, he's running the company already. He, he doesn't even he say, oh, that greeter wasn't very nice to you when you came in. He did not He doesn't try to, he doesn't care. But he will bring accusations in the body of Christ. And, when, and he wants you to be wounded in church. He wants you to take some offense. He wants you to be offended. The, the preacher didn't even shake my hand. The, the preacher didn't talk to me. The, or the preacher talked to me too much. Uh, the preacher did shake my hand. I wish he would leave me alone. You know, But he, he wants you to be offended. He said, Satan's going to remind you of all the pits you've been in. He's going to remind you what a failure you are, how bad you mess up, how often you mess up, how often you sin, how how you're just just a lousy Christian, and God's not going to do that. He's not going to condemn you. said, Satan's going to remind you that you're a loser, that you're, just think of all the pits you've been in. So they took Joseph's tunic, and they slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. They said, they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this, please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Now, they didn't tell him that. They didn't tell him a wild beast had devoured him. He'd been torn to pieces. He assumed that. He he made a jump. And Satan will fabricate evidence to substantiate his lies because he wants you to jump to conclusions. So, so Jacob gets this mud, mud, blood soaked tunic, and he assumes, this is what's happened. This is what's happened. This is the backstory. He was attacked by a wild animal and he's been torn to pieces. And so this is the conclusion that Jacob believed for 22 years. Of course, they're not going to set him right. They're not going to say, no, no, no. We sold him into slavery. He's okay. <clears throat> and this, this fabrication, he probably, this probably troubled him for years and years thinking about how, how he had been, his son had been torn to pieces by a wild beast. Yet, there's no real evidence that that's what's happened. You know, think how Satan will fabricate evidence. He's going to, a big deal like this, he'll fabricate evidence that you've married the wrong person. You get married, you love, and then it doesn't take too long. You start having a little trouble in marriage, and Satan will lie to you and say, you know what's wrong? You married the wrong person. You, she's completely the opposite from you. You're so different. You don't, you don't have anything in common. Well, of course she is. Of course she's different. Of course he's different. Did you know that's why we call it the opposite sex? Because they're the opposite of us. They're different. You know what would happen if you married you? You would kill yourself. It's, here's the big lie. God created marriage to make you happy. No, he didn't. God actually created marriage to kill you. God created marriage. I want you to listen to me. I'm not being salacious. I want you, God created marriage to beat the hell out of you. Because all of us have a lot of hell in us. And God brings us into relationship, and he wants to use that relationship to help kill your selfishness and your pride and your immaturity. And if you allow God to do that, if you allow God to deal with your selfishness and your sins that surface because of the relationship, if you will allow God to deal with that, then you can really be happy And if, But if that doesn't kill you, then he'll send you kids. <laughs> They'll finish you off. Satan's going to lie to you when you're in the pit. Satan's going to lie to you and tell you that you've messed up too badly, that you've, you've messed up your life so bad that you can, God can never use you again, and that's a lie, or that you're too badly messed up because of what you've been through. In other words, so you've messed up or you've been messed up, who is that? That's all of us, right? We've, we have messed up or we've been messed up, and so that's all of us. So Satan will say, myself, you're all disqualified. You know what God says? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, that terminology means beaten down by life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you Rest. So that's the promise and hope in Christ. I mean, you're not too messed up because the Bible's just full of stories. That's that's what the Bible is about. The Bible is about how God used messed up people that by his power and his grace, they accomplished incredible things so that he gets the glory and it's all about him. It's full of messed up people. It's You know, I've always said, why does God use such messed up people? Because it's the only kind there are. So he uses people that are broken and need help. Because this is a book about restoration. It's a book about hope. Then the third thing, what is the purpose of the pit? So I want you to get this. The purpose of the pit is to prepare us for the promise. Do you remember that? The purpose of the pit is to prepare us for the promise. Say it. The purpose of the pit is to prepare us for the pro- promise. See, I can't even say it. Uh, in Genesis chapter 50, we look at the back end of this story where Joseph has delivered his brothers and saved them. and he's, Now the family's all been restored. They're a little afraid because they know, they know what they did. They know what they did and they're afraid. Here they find out Joseph's the number two in the land and that he, you know, he has the power to kill him, do whatever, whatever he wants. And they're aware of that and they're afraid. And so they're so worried. And he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. He said, so you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago between the difference between a temptation and a test? It's the same word that Satan tempts us, but God tests us. They're both the same event. You can be in the middle of an event and it can either be a temptation or a test. What's the difference? The difference is how you respond to it. One, is a temptation sent from Satan. Satan's desire is that he's going to use that to devour you, to destroy you, to disrupt God's plan in your life, to tempt you to complain against God, to to tempt you to not trust God, to, to tempt you to do it your way and not God's way, to take shortcuts instead of trusting God in the process. But in the test, what's the purpose of the test? The temptation is to destroy you. The test is to build your character. The test has a purpose to cause you to trust God more, to grow in your faith, to grow in your trust. And it it is to prepare you for the next step in God's plan, the dream. For God to fulfill the dream, you got to pass the pit test, and the pit test is to prepare you for the promise. For Joseph... What's the purpose of the pit test? Well, God's God's preparing him. He's humbling him so that he won't be so arrogant. He had a dream, but he was short-sighted about the present. He was so focused on the present, he didn't realize how how all of this arrogance was going to play out in his family. He was clueless of when he's bragging on all this and, and he, you know, wearing this tunic everywhere he goes and he's so self-confident, so self-assured, he didn't realize it's, short, it's short-circuiting his ability for God to use him in the future. So God's humbling him. And I want, to, I want you to see something. After Joseph gets thrown in the pit, we never see this self-absorbed, arrogant young man again. Every other, every other test he passes with flying colors because God uses the, the pit to prepare him for the promise. I like this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, you've got to remember who, who Peter is. Peter's the, one of the original apostles. But Peter also had the same problem with arrogance and pride. I mean, Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed on the night that he was led off. Jesus said, Hey, Satan has asked to, to sift you like wheat, asked for permission to sift you like wheat, and I've given it to him. Which my question would have been, What? 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 He doesn't even catch that point. You know, that would be a sticking point for me. Wait a minute, you gave him permission? So, yes. So he says, you're going to deny me three times. He says, no way, Jose, or no way, Jesus. Uh, He says, no way, Jesus. Or Yahweh. No way Yahweh would work better, right? Anyway, no way. It's not going to happen. But he does. He does deny the Lord three times and it's a, it's a humbling thing for him and he has to get to a point of not being so arrogant and self-sufficient so God can use him in establishing and planning the church God's preparing him for the promise but he's got to go through this humbling thing so so Peter says listen to this you young men he was young when this happened to him be subject to your elders And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's writing this from the perspective and experience of an arrogant, self-sufficient person who had failed miserably, but who God in his mercy had restored him. Because that's what God does. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. God doesn't cause all things. We cause some things. The enemy causes some things. Other people cause things. But God causes even all those things that are bad, the things that even the enemy causes, even stupid things that we do, If we'll submit it to God, God's going to use it for good. He's he's going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What Satan meant for evil in your life, what Satan meant to bring destruction and to forever cause you to be wounded and hurt, God used that. As a matter of fact, some of you are here today, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because the pain of your past, God used that as a passage to his promise. God, God, God didn't waste it. God's not going to waste that in your life. Now that's your testimony. It's your victory because God has triumphed over that to bring you into his promise. God didn't cause his brothers, Joseph's brothers, to throw him in the pit. But God used it. And he's going to use every even bad thing that's happening in your life if you'll trust him. So here's the the question. If you're in the pit, if you're in a pit, financial pit, marriage pit, life pit, if you're in some kind of Surrounding, overwhelming situation, and you don't see a way out of it. The question you ask is, What does God want me to learn here? What does God want me to learn here? It's amazing. I've found in my life, as I have been in pits I made and pits other people made, that when I learned the lesson, the pit went away. I got out of the pit. The financial pit. The marriage pit. Still in the same marriage, by the way, if you didn't know that. But been a couple of times it's been the pits. And usually it was my doing. It was me. And when I learned the lesson of the pit then it changed. So what do you need to learn? And that's where the Holy Spirit, we're not asking, this is not to condemn us because we've all got stuff to learn. This is not condemnation. This is where we ask for the surgical knife of the Holy Spirit with conviction to come and say, you know, what, what, where is it that I need to grow, that I need to be more like Jesus? What, what is it that God needs to work in me to prepare me to greater fulfill the promise in my life. Because the pit prepares us for the promise. Amen. Let's stand and pray. And some of you thought the sermon was the pits. (laughs) See if you'll have the right attitude. God's going to deliver you in just a few minutes. Lord, you've been so patient with me. I've been so stubborn and so, so unaware, just like Joseph was unaware of the problems that he was causing. I've often been totally unaware of what the problem that I was causing, oblivious, oblivious to why I was in the pit. So, Lord, would you just use that, the surgical knife of the Holy Spirit not to condemn us because you, you take even these bad situations and you use them for our good. There's good that can come from where I am right now, even if it's not a good place. There's good that can come from it because you're going to cause all things to work together for good. So, Lord, help me see the thing that I need to learn that's going to help me get out of the pit. And if if there's not, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're not a God who condemns, but you're a God who saves and delivers, and you have an unbelievable promise for us. This is the test. This is the first test. But, Lord, we want to pass this test. We want to to understand that the, the purpose of the pit is so that we can see the fulfillment of the promise. Lord, help us right now, today. What is it I need to learn? Just ask the Lord. Lord, is there something you're dealing with me about, something I need to learn? Lord, I ask that you would just show me by your word, show me by your Holy Spirit. I wish that you wouldn't show me by my spouse, but you probably will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. Have a great day. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.